All right, let's jump into the text, Philippians chapter four, um, verses four through seven. So this is what it says. This is what it says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So at the beginning of July, we kicked off this series that we've been in, that we'll be in up until the fall. And this series was actually built off of responses from you all. Uh, So we asked you to kind of reflect back on this past year and a half. And we said, hey, we want you to reflect back on this past year and a half and answer two simple questions. The simple questions were, where were you stronger than you anticipated over this past year? Like, Where were you more spiritually vibrant than you thought you would be? And then where were you weaker than you anticipated you would be? Where were those places that maybe were revealed in you that, that you didn't know existed that were a weakness? And so two weeks ago, I shared this, um, this image of a crucible, this, this kind of word picture that, that God gave me at the beginning of the pandemic as I was kind of looking at what was happening in my own heart. And he gave me this image of a crucible. And it's this, it's this container that when heated up, it brings the impurities out of the silver. And I kind of drew this analogy based upon just my own experience to argue that this past year and a half, Um, has kind of served as a collective crucible for our journey and our faith. And I I think that if we will allow it, if we will allow it, God wants to continue to use it to build, to strengthen, to encourage, and to, to ultimately purify our faith in Jesus and to advance his kingdom on here on earth as it is in heaven. And so Uh, Brandon, a few weeks ago, uh, looked at this idea of biblical community. He invited us into community because it's kind of been a place of weakness over the last year and a half. It's been been a difficult part of a lot of our journeys with Jesus is community, like being with and and for other people. And then uh, I took a look at just our priorities and attention. I looked, attention, whoa, I just just squeaked there. Puberty, I cannot wait to go through it. It's going to be awesome. I looked at our priorities and our attention, and I reminded us, hey, our first priority as followers of Jesus is to seek God first, for him to get our, our, our best, our first. And this week, just based upon a lot of y'all's feedback, based upon a lot of what you shared, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about anxiety and worry. Um, now, here's the thing. I don't normally start uh, a teaching or a sermon by, by naming what this teaching will not be. But I actually think it's going to be helpful to, to name what I won't be doing this morning. But I think when you talk about something in the realm of mental health, like anxiety, it can actually cause more hurt and, and more harm than it actually helps. And so my hope by naming, hey, what this is not, is going to allow this space this morning to be a place where, where no hurt or harm happens. After I do this, we're going to dive into this text this morning. So my teaching is not a comprehensive look at mental health and mental illness. One, way above my pay grade. And two, we've got 30 minutes together right now. So there's no way that I'm going to be able to do that. The second thing it's not, it's not commentary or a cure for any sort of like clinically diagnosed anxiety disorder. 
Like, I, I'm not saying this morning, hey, if you pray this way or if you have enough faith, like, it's just going to disappear like that. Like, your anxiety, your depression, like, it is way more complex than for me to put a formula on. Now, if you are in the midst of, like, one of those places, if you are in the midst of a real, real deep battle with anxiety or depression, like, we want you to know, like, this is a place where you can be safe. Like, this is a place where you can be seen. This is a place where we want you to be able to share, like, the deepest parts of who you are. I think, for whatever reason, like, within the church, and probably in a lot of society, like, mental struggles, mental health struggles, have this stigma with them that they don't need to have. And we just want you to know right off the bat, I want you to know right off the bat that in this context, in this place, with this group of people, like this is a place that you can fully be yourself and fully name whatever it is that you're going through. Like we don't have to put on a face when we come in here. It's really tempting. It's really tempting for me to do it, but we don't have to put on a face when we come in here in this space. In fact, this should be the place more than anywhere else on the entire earth that we can actually be our full selves because I, I, I don't think I have to like, convince you that life is hard. Like, how many of you would agree, hey, life is hard. Like, life can be a struggle. Life can be difficult. Now, our, our battles are different and our struggles are different, but here's the thing. None of us are perfect, right? Like, all of us struggle. All of us battle. And I think that we could just attest just by our own human experience, though. Although our battles are different, there are just some I don't know how I would say this, but there's just some universal human struggles that we all deal with. And I would say worry, anxiety is one of those. So a number of you all named this specifically in your survey. Although it was nuanced, although it was different. Here's the truth. We all worry about things. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm worried about this cold air right now. You're right. Like, we do all worry about things. What you worry about, what may like cause anxiety within you may be different, but it's something that we all deal with. Maybe some of us are more genetically bent to, to worry. This was my grandmother. Like I know like just genetically she was going to worry more than my grandfather. But here's the thing. What we worry about and what we do with that worry really, really matters. So I just asked like this morning, like, what is it that you worry about? Just like think about it for a moment. Like, what, what is it that causes you anxiety? What are the things that you're anxious about right now, this past week, this past month? Was it a relationship? Some, some kind of conflict between you and someone else, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a sibling? Is it your future? Is it your finances? Is it your health? Is it what other people think about you? Is it your past? Maybe your worry is marked by regret. I can relate to that. And I could go on and on and on here. But the reality is, you know where you worry. You know what causes anxiety within you. Now, before we even jump into the text here in Philippians, I want to make an observation that I think is gonna be helpful. Because there's a reason, there's a reason that Paul and other authors in the scripture address the topic of worry and anxiety. And, and just in light of where we're going, 
And honestly, through a lot of prayer and thought this week around this topic, I really felt like it was important to just name kind of this first big idea. And I kept coming back to this thought, that there is power in our expectations. There is power in our expectations. And this is kind of the first point. If you take notes, there is power in our expectations. Because what you are expecting or anticipating greatly affects how you embrace what happens. So I want you to think back with me about the the naivety of March 2020. March 2020, this idea was getting thrown out about flatten the curve. And it was like, yeah, flatten the curve, like a couple weeks of quarantine, like we can do that. Maybe a month, like it would actually be kind of nice, right? And little did we know what the next year was going to hold. And as I look back on that, I thought, man, how different would I have braced for what was getting ready to happen over the last year had I had the correct expectations. Now, none of us knew what was going to happen, but I think we can realize, oh, there is so much power in expectations. C.S. Lewis, he has this, this great kind of analogy that I've read before that I came back to this week that just helps us kind of see how the power of our expectations work. And this is what he says. He says, and I quote, if you're shown a hotel room you've been told is the honeymoon suite, your expectations will be high. Now, if there's no plush carpet, spa, champagne, you're gonna be disappointed. On the other hand, if you've been told before the door opens that it's a jail cell, you'll be delighted to find even the most modest comforts. And I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we are often taught to expect the honeymoon suite when it comes to life. As followers of Jesus, what I think we sometimes do is we smuggle in our own expectations into the gospel message. And so we're, we're going to assume, hey, troubles will subside, earthly blessings will abound. And now he, hear me out, like blessings will abound, but our expectation of what those blessings might look like is different. Because here's the thing, when we step through the doorway of life, we all discover we all discover one way or another that the journey of faith does not exempt us from heartbreak and hardship. Tim Keller, he writes this. He says, the fact is a lot of Christians are cast down all the time because they don't expect attacks on their peace and joy that are inevitable. At least half of being upset is the frustration that says it's not supposed to be like this because we don't have the proper expectations. Now, Here's the thing, like when you look at the biblical narrative, we're reminded that we are actually supposed to expect hardship and hardship and struggle in our journey of faith. And I sometimes, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I forget this reality. But when you go back and you look, like you see, okay, the Israelites, homeless for 40 years. Like you look at Jesus's journey all the way up to the cross. You look at the early church and you see like the persecution that they're facing. When a soldier is is going into battle, there's nothing gained by lowering the expectation of conflict, right? They are better served by being prepared for the real battle. And I think it's important for us to understand like we are in the midst of a real battle. Like we're in the midst of a real battle for our heart, for our soul, We have to expect that the world, our flesh, the devil, it's it's coming against us, especially when we choose to be friends with God. 
When we choose to be friends with God, we should expect attacks on our joy and on our peace. Now, we know the one who is with us. We know the one who is for us. We know the one who is stronger. But we can't be naive not to expect attacks on our joy and our peace when this war is waging for our heart and our soul. I remember hearing one time in a sermon that the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. I was like, that's, that's true. That's why both Jesus and Paul are very honest with people under their care. Jesus, he talks about hardship by saying, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul, he spends a lot of time equipping the churches, just like we see here in Philippians, that he's planted for, for hardship, for battle, for, for these flares up of anxiety that will come. And that's what Paul's doing right here in Philippians chapter four. He's equipping a group of believers with some specific practices that will help them respond to anxiety and worry and the difficulty of life because there is and was this expectation that anxiety would attack and rear its head. And Paul, he wanted them to be able to respond in a way that wouldn't rob them of the peace that they had in Jesus. And so I want us to look at these words together. Philippians chapter four, let's go back to verse four. And look at these practices that I think will help us combat anxiety and worry. And so verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say anytime something is repeated in scripture, it's like, okay, pay attention to this. This is really important. But I'm gonna be honest with you all. Most of the time, I think when I've read this passage, I've associated this with kind of an outward expression of praise to God. And God really unlocked something in my heart this week as I studied this deeper and deeper. What Paul's actually saying here when he says to rejoice in the Lord, he's saying literally to delight in God's grace. Think about that. To delight in God's grace. To literally experience God's grace. To be conscious of and to be glad for God's grace in your life. To rejoice in the Lord is to delight in God's grace. Do you delight in things? Do you delight in God? Do you delight in life with God? What does it look like to delight in something? Like, think about that with me for a moment. Like, think about something you just, you just enjoy. Think about something you enjoy. Like, what does it look like to just enjoy something or someone? You, you soak it up. You savor it. You think about it. Have you ever had one of those meals that's just like so good? You're just like taking a bite and you're like closing your eyes and you're like making weird sounds. You're like, um, this is so good. Uh, Just me? Okay, cool. Um, I remember like having this like really good steak one time and I was like, I don't want this to end. Like I just want to savor and soak in like every, every bite. And this is what Paul's saying here to do in God's grace for your life. I think sometimes what we do is say, uh, saved by God, his grace is good. But he's saying, no, 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 hey, always, always delight in God's grace in your life. Psalm, 57, Psalm 51 says, to restore the joy of my salvation, Lord. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I don't know about you, but like maybe the, 
the flavor, the goodness, the, the truth of God's grace has kind of been lost in your life recently. And you need to be reminded to just delight in that. This is how he starts that paragraph. To rejoice in the Lord, to delight in the Lord. I'm gonna keep going on this because it's, it's, I think it's really important for us to understand. This is an act of, of the mind, of the heart, of the soul to delight in God's grace. To think about the grace of Jesus, to meditate upon his work in your life, to enjoy the presence and grace of God. Don't you know that Paul did this often? If you don't know anything about Paul's journey, he, he, was, he was working against Jesus. He was actually uh, like murdering those who were following Christ and doing his work. And then he had a real encounter with God. He had a real encounter with Jesus and his life just completely flipped upside down. And don't you think he knew the grace of Jesus in his life? Someone who was murdering his followers now becomes his biggest advocate. Don't you think he thought about that? And he thought, oh, Jesus, your grace, what you've done in my life, the ways you've moved, the ways you've worked. Don't you think there were just moments when he thought, like, who am I to be here Writing letters like this to these churches, God, it's only you, it's only your grace. Don't you think he just sat in that? He understood that, he knew that, he delighted in that. He delighted in the fact that he had this relationship, he had this walk with God. That's why he can say, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. He knew how important this was. He knew how important it was to just spend a, a significant amount of time delighting in God's work in your life and in your heart. He understood that delighting in God's grace over you reframes your perspective above the circumstances. Because here's what happens. When you rejoice in the Lord, you reframe your perspective. And for Paul, not coming from a place of theory, right? Right? Not coming from a place of like, ah, I think this might be true. Like Paul's literally writing this letter from prison. He's writing this from a place of hardship. He's writing this from a place of difficulty. And notice what it says next in verse five. Let's keep going. Verse five, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. So I, I've, most of the time I've kind of skipped over this. Like, but as I was meditating on it this week, you know what I, I, I thought? I thought, okay, when you're delighting in God's grace, like the, just the rough places of your heart and spirit kind of get, get softened. When you're, when you're remembering, when you're recounting all the ways in which God has moved in your life, there's just something that happens to your spirit. It becomes so much more gentle. A harsh spirit becomes a gentle spirit. A judgmental spirit becomes a gentle spirit. A worried spirit becomes a gentle spirit as you delight, as you soak in, as you enjoy what God has done in and through you. And then what's it say next? It says, the Lord is near. It's just kind of like this statement. Okay, the Lord is near. And I believe that it's in these moments of delight. It's in these moments as he, he kind of softens our heart that we can, that we can proclaim this reality that God is near. So rejoicing in the Lord, experiencing his grace, it creates this awareness of his nearness. And this is important because what Paul's doing here, and 
Some of you may need to hear this as you're going through the midst of a really difficult thing right now. The Lord is near. He's not far. He cares. And it's in this moment, delighting in God's grace, knowing that he is near, that you can then live into verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, fairly often, I'm not going to lie, like this verse has been a little kind of confusing and jarring to me. It's like, Paul, like, don't be anxious about anything. Like, what are you talking about? I know what you've gone through. I know what I'm going through. Like, how can you even utter these words? But what I've typically done, what I've typically done is I've skipped the sentence beforehand. I've skipped the practice beforehand in verse five of rejoicing in the Lord, of drawing near to the Lord. I've skipped the practice that actually reframes my perspective as I continue my conversation with God. Rejoicing, delighting, enjoying the Lord is not something you do like before you pray. It is prayer. Paul's not saying, hey, first rejoice and then pray. He's just giving us a more robust picture of what life with God can look like. And I'll be the first to admit I don't live into it most of the time. But it's this place of drawing near to God, being near to the heart of God that we can then give our anxious thoughts over to him. Not with, not with like a half-hearted like, I, I think you might be hearing me. I think you might care. But with an assurance that he hears us And he cares more than anybody else in the entire world. It's in this place that you can live into the words of 1 Peter 5, 7, where he says, hey, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Let's look at verse 6, even a little bit closer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, I want to point out a few ways that Paul's kind of instructing us to pray here in verse six. And then I want to invite us into these practices this week. I love that Paul says both prayer and petition. Like he says both things here. It's not, prayer's not simply just asking God for things, but at the same time, it's very clear. This is a big part of what prayer is. It's a conversation. It's a two-way conversation. And he uses this word petition or supplication. It may be translated supplication in your Bible, but petition, what it implies is that we've been provoked by this realization that we lack something. Like when you're petitioning God for something, there's this realization that you are lacking something. And so this is a, this is a heartfelt prayer. This is an honest prayer. This is a heartfelt prayer just rising out of a deep personal need in your life. You can see these prayers in the Psalms, in the Psalms of Lament. Huge portion of the Psalms are these prayers. This just honest, heartfelt cry out to God. Like this is, this is our invitation. We're not, we're not supposed to come with these clean and tidy like prayers to God. Like we are supposed to draw near to him and pour out our heart. Give him every part of who we are. Be our most honest self in his presence. It's an incredible invitation that Paul's inviting us into. And then he includes this line, hey, with thanksgiving. It's like, wait, what a second, what are you doing there, Paul? 
It's like, okay, prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I think it's a really important intentional thing that he does here. So you can both pray for a specific need because you are lacking, because you are facing worry, because you are filled with anxiety. You can pray those prayers while at the same time praying a prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving. And I think Paul knows something. He knows that so often thanksgiving is going to be the key to gaining victory over our anxiety and our worry. Since what it does is it, it deliberately shifts our, our heart's eye to our current worries, to the greatness and the goodness of God. And then he keeps going. He says, hey, present your requests. Present your requests. Make known to God exactly what you need. Make known to God exactly what you need. How often are your prayers specific? How often are you asking him specifically for what you need? Here's the thing. The Father, God, he knows our needs. Like he knows us, he sees us, but there's something in this act of asking for what he already knows we need that that I think humbles us, that that brings us to this, this posture of greater dependence upon him. And for whatever reason, God designed us to, to ask him for the things that he already knows we need because he knows it's gonna draw us in. He knows that it's gonna make us depend even more upon him. And all of this, hear this, like all of verse six from a posture of just delighting in God, knowing that he is near. And then we have this incredible promise, verse seven. We're gonna start to land the plane here. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's this, there's this level of peace that can't be found in anyone or anything else other than God. It can't even be explained. It goes beyond human wisdom and understanding. And it is available to those who know and love and walk with him. It's the peace that Jesus tells us he's come to give us. In John 14, when he says, hey, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, let not your hearts be troubled, let them not be afraid. I've heard prayer described as the exchanging of wills, but prayer is the exchange of so many other things. One of them being the exchange of our anxiety and our worry and our fear in exchange for his peace and his joy and his purpose. And I love this word picture that Paul ends with. He says, and this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I just imagine Paul as he's in this jail cell and he's, he's looking out at these guards that are guarding his cell and he's thinking, okay, the way that this guy is guarding where I am, that's how Jesus guards our peace. That's what we have in Jesus. Not someone who's far, not someone who's distant, but someone who is right in the midst of the very thing that you are going through. Some of you may need to hear this morning that Jesus wants to guard your heart and your mind with the peace that is available to him. And so practically, what I wanna invite us into this week is living out these practices that Paul presents us. So the reality is we all worry. The reality is that there there are going to be things that bubble up that that cause anxiety. 
And I really believe that Paul in Philippians chapter four, he's given us this proactive approach to those moments. Before they happen, while they happen, after they happen, he's he's giving us some really, I think, beautiful insight on how we can practice when anxiety attacks, how we can protect the peace that God has for us in him. So if you were with uh, us two weeks ago, um, I gave you a challenge or an invitation um, to kind of spend your morning 15 minutes before you do anything else in prayer and in reading God's word. And I broke it up into five-minute segments. Five minutes of stillness and silence. Five minutes of stillness and silence. Another five minutes in his word, reading a psalm and a story from the Gospels. And then your last five minutes in just prayerful response. Now, if you're doing that and it's going amazing, keep going, keep trucking. I want to invite us into that this week, but I want to tweak it a little bit. So in those first five minutes of stillness and silence, this is before you open your phone, this is before you do anything, 15 minutes just with the Lord. Those first five minutes of stillness and silence this week, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to, to delight in God. I want you to just sit there and I want you to think about God's work in your life. I want you to, for five minutes, just sitting there and I want you just to enjoy the Lord. For some of you, like, enjoy the Lord. I I don't even know what that looks like. It means recounting, recounting who he is and what he's done in your life. And just sit in that for five minutes. Then I wanna invite you into the word. If If you're reading that psalm, and, and the story from the gospel, and you're really enjoying it, keep going. If you're not in a place in God's word, like in your life right now, I want you to invite you to read Philippians chapter four. Read Philippians chapter four this week. And then I wanna invite you into that last aspect of prayer and petition. I want you to specifically pray the prayers of need that you have to God this week. Wherever you have lacking, wherever you have need, wherever you have worry, wherever you have anxiety, I want you to invite him into those very specifically in the last five minutes. Okay, here's the thing. My hope is that as you like live into these practices, you actually start wanting even more. You're like, okay, God, 15 minutes isn't enough. But 15 minutes is a great starting place. And here's what I want us to do this morning because so much of this passage is not just individually it's communally. He's, he's writing this entire letter to an entire church. And so the reality is, is we're not supposed to go about this as individuals. There's an aspect to, to life with God that is individual, but so much of life with God is communal. One of the reasons that we take communion together as a body is to remind ourselves, okay, we as a community are, are surrounded we're surrounding Jesus. He's the center of who we are as a community. And this morning, specifically around Philippians chapter four, I wanna invite us into communion around just a couple of simple things. I wanna invite us to just name the places of worry and anxiety in our life. And then I want us to pray for one another, as it says here in Philippians chapter four. Pray for that peace that surpasses understanding. So what I wanna do is pray. I wanna invite you to circle up chairs with two, three, four people. And I want us to just take communion together as a family. So let me pray and then we'll continue to live into this together. So Father, we thank you for the reality of what Philippians chapter four tells us, that you do draw near. 
that you are close, that you do provide peace that surpasses understanding when we're in the midst of a worry, when we're in the midst of anxiety. And I just ask by the power of your spirit that you would just come in our midst right now as we take communion. Together, as a whole church, we say, amen.